You're listening to the Renegade Blitz Podcast, a podcast for Steelers fans by Steelers fans. Follow us on Twitter at Renegade Blitz, read articles on RenegadeBlitz.com, and like us on Facebook. And welcome back to the Renegade Blitz. I'm Ty Polk, joined by Chris Ward. Here is part two of our preview of Steelers versus Eagles. And we welcome EJ Smith, Eagles beat reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer. EJ, glad to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. EJ, a lot of Steelers fans view this as a game that the team should win. The Eagles are 1-2-1 and one with their victory on Sunday night and are somehow in first place in just a plain bad NFC East. What are the positive things you've seen from the team that should keep the Steelers on their toes? Um, well, I think the Eagles' biggest strength is their defensive line. Um, you know, the last two games especially, you've seen them sort of be what people thought they were going to be coming into the season. Um, they've got three of like the top ten highest-paid defensive tackles in the NFL. Um, you guys know one of them pretty well in Javon Hargrave. Um, and that group is really talented. Um, they had, I think they had double digits, quarter, double, double digit quarterback hits against the 49ers. Um, they sacked Joe Burrow eight times against Cincinnati two weeks ago. Um, so I think that's the thing that keeps them in games right now. Um, offensively, they haven't really found an identity yet. Um, I think they're still trying to figure out what Carson Wentz is this season. Um, but if there's anything that, you know, will keep the Eagles in a game or win the Eagles a game, it's definitely their pass rush. And, EJ, one of the big stories out of Philadelphia has been the progress of Carson Wentz. You know, he's struggled so far this season with four touchdowns and seven interceptions. Uh, there's even some talks about Jalen Hurts possibly, like, you know, coming in for him, you know, he continues to struggle. What has what the fans been thinking about Wentz and just the coaches and players and overall the, the entire Eagles organization of how he performed uh, so far this season? Well, you know how Philly is. So, I mean, a lot of people want to see Hurts already. Um, everybody's ready to bench him or trade him. Um, and listen, it's been really bad this year. It's hard to understate how bad Carson Wentz has been, or it's hard to overstate how bad he's been so far this season. I mean, all the metrics that I value, you know, completion percentage over expectation, just regular completion percentage, football, um, football outsiders, DVOA metrics, PFF, they all have him as one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, he's down there with guys, Dwayne Haskins, who just got benched, Jeff Driscoll. He's down there with backup quarterbacks as the least efficient quarterback in, in the NFL. Um, and when you watch him, it's not surprising. You know, he's, he seems like he's just pressing. Um, I think there's mechanical issues going on. I think that there's a confidence issue, um, you know, in his decision-making. I think that he's a little lost right now as like a player. Um, and I think that, you know, you saw, you see him trying to figure out ways to win right now with the way that he's running the, he's running the ball a lot more than he used to. And I think you can attribute that to him trying to figure out, okay, how can I still help my team win games? Even if, you know, I'm going to miss wide open receivers once a series, you know, cause he's just, his accuracy is everywhere right now. And again, some of his decision-making is definitely a little questionable, but I would say the coaches and the players are, are remaining confident, at least when they talk to us in Carson's ability to turn things around. And I do want to make sure that I say, like, you know, this is a guy who's started almost 50 or more than 50 games in his career. You know, he was an MVP candidate in 2017. In 2018, he was coming off the injury. In 2019, at the end of the year, he definitely showed you that he is 
a franchise quarterback. And I do think it's important to keep in mind, once you move on from a guy like that, you have no idea how long it's going to take you to find another guy like that. I mean, he's an incredibly talented player. Um, and it's while it's easy to overreact to a four-game sample size, which is really concerning, um, it is important to point out that he's got the body of work to still give him you know, a, a little bit more time at the very least to figure it out. Um, so I'm still kind of like on both sides of the fence here, I think. You know, like I definitely realize how concerning it is the way that he's playing. But I also – think about the body of work and sort of just want to press the brakes a little bit. Um, but yeah, the fans are definitely ready to see Hertz in action. <laughs> well, as, as an outsider, my question is this, how has the hiring of Frank Reich to Indianapolis affected Wentz? Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that they've missed him. Um, I think that um, the Eagles have struggled a little bit to find the right dynamic in that room since Reich left. I mean, and part of it is just the ebb and flow <clears throat> of um, of how the NFL works, you know? I mean, the Eagles are one of the first teams on the RPO game, and, you know, that has since been figured out. Um, and that was Frank Reich and Doug Peterson and John Filippo, and all – and the two of those guys are gone. Um, and I think that they've worked to figure out the right combination of coaches to, you know, make sure that they're – they have the right dynamic in that quarterback room. And I think that that's one of the things that and maybe is talked enough about, but maybe not as far as that dynamic is really something that I think that they miss with Reich even more than they might miss schematically, you know, what he brings to the table. Um, in 2017, they were one of like the best teams as far as getting off to getting out to early leads. And that is how the Eagles win games. I mean, you guys watch the Steelers. So, you know, when you have a lead and you've got a front four, a front seven, with talented pass rushers, that is the formula for winning. You know, if you can get a team to be one-dimensional, especially the Eagles have always been a good team against the run. If you can get a front, if you can get an offense to be one-dimensional and have to pass the ball, um, that's when your front four can really get to work and really can, you know, rush the pass and make an impact. And that was how the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Um, I mean, make no mistake about it. It was getting out the early leads and then rushing the passer. Um, they haven't been able to do that consistently without Frank Reich. Uh, so I'd say those are the two ways that they really miss Reich. Um, and, you know, it's, it happens. Like, this is what happens with good football teams. You lose coordinators, you lose position coaches. So they're going to have to figure it out. Another thing that kind of has always been a, an Achilles heel for the Eagles, really since the turn of the century, is wide receiver. Uh, they're dealing with injuries to their top two wide receivers, Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. But they got the hero of the day performance out of Travis Fulgham and, of course, Greg Ward, who came on last last season. Just I asked this question to John, but I also want to ask you this. How have injuries at the receiver position affected the play of Carson Wentz? Well, I don't know how much. I would say, actually, the injuries to the offensive line have impacted him more. Um on the receivers, I actually do think this is something that maybe covering the team every day is a benefit for me is I can sort of I, – I don't think Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson are actually the two best receivers on the Eagles anymore. I mean, Alshon Jeffrey last year was really, really regressing at a stark pace. And Deshaun, I mean, he's a great deep threat. He's always going to have the respect of an opposing defense, and he's always going to change the way that a defense can play the Eagles. But I would argue that if I were to pick – my starting 11 for the Eagles offense and I was only going to have two receivers and two tight ends, which is what you would do. 
I'd have Jalen Rager and Greg Ward out there before I'd have Alshon or Deshaun. And then I'd have Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. While they are missing a lot of those receivers, and, you know, you're right, it's been 20 years that they've the neglected the receiver position. I mean, it's a – yeah, Terrell Owens is <laughs> the only good receiver in the last 20 years, right? Uh, uh, I, I mean, they had Deshaun and Macklin for a while, and those guys yeah. are really good. But um, And Aguilar yeah, for say, a season. Yeah, for one season. Eh, like a season and a half. Uh, <laughs> but I would say that that is just an organizational philosophy. They want to build their teams from the inside out. You know, Pittsburgh's a little different. You guys always seem to have at least one really good receiver. But you guys are also – I mean, I always think of the Steelers as a team that isn't spending great resources on that position. They're just really good at drafting it. And the Eagles are the exact opposite. They are not very good at drafting receivers. I mean, the only two that they've drafted that have been consistently productive are Deshaun Jackson and Jeremy Macklin. We'll see what Jalen Rager looks like. I mean, the kid is explosive, um, but, you know, the jury's still out. Um, so, yeah, I would say that the, the, the lack of rece- receiver talent is definitely stark. Um, I mean, it's not a surprise that they're, they're missing those guys. I mean, they were missing those guys last year. Um, and I do think that part of – what's like what's making it harder on Wentz is the timing he doesn't have reps with these new guys he doesn't have you know the they're just like the little details about like okay you're stopping 10 yards instead of 12 yards or you're breaking here instead of breaking here like these angles and just these little details I think it's it's hard to figure that stuff out so quickly but Carson Wentz did that last year with practice squad receivers albeit against not great opponents but, I mean, Greg Ward, Robert Davis, Deontay Burnett, guys you probably have never even heard of. I mean, that's who he was throwing the ball to last year. The difference was he had an elite offensive line. He had an all-pro at right guard. He had a pro bowl. Probably one of – he honestly, I'd say he had the best right guard and right tackle in the NFL. He had Jason Peters, who was still playing at a high level. He had Isaac Samalo, who at least is a, a league average guard. And he had Jason Kelsey, who I think is the best center in the NFL. Now, this year, all he has left is Jason Kelsey. Lane Johnson's hurt. I mean, he's playing, but he's hurt. Um, they've got backups at right guard, left guard, and left tackle. I mean, they've lost three or four starters every week, and they haven't had the same offensive line, the same five people on the offensive line once this season. It's been a different group every time. So I think that is one of the things that doesn't get talked about as much is how that affects Wentz's play. And I'll sticking with the receivers and tight ends. Uh, Zach Ertz was uh, shut down against San Francisco with only uh, four catches on five targets for nine yards. Um, you know, we heard about some, uh, you know, he publicly spoke about his contract issue a few weeks ago. Uh, do you think that's playing any factor into his players that more just overall with how injuries are impacting uh, Wentz and uh, the receivers? And how can the Eagles get him going with the team uh, decimated at wide receiver? Yeah, I don't know if the contract is playing into it at all. I mean, during week one, it def- there was definitely some body language stuff that you could pick up on when he went against Washington. You know, um, at one point, I remember he was like down on a knee. It looked like he was hurt. And he waved off trainers. You know, he was like, I'm not hurt. It may be just frustrated. I don't know. But I would say that the thing with Ertz is when, when this team gets decimated with injuries like they have been right now, it is so easy to just key in on him and take him away. You know, I mean, we've seen teams do it. He And he talks about it. He talks about how against the Rams on third down, Jalen Ramsey's covering him. I mean, how many tight ends in the NFL are getting matched up against Jalen Ramsey? Um, and that's the thing that's tough with Ertz is, you know, you look at a guy like Kittle and you look at a guy like Kelsey, and those guys overcome tough matchups. 
but they're also in offenses. I mean, more so Kelsey than Kittle, but they're also in offenses with talent around them. And it's not as easy to just say, all right, we're going to bracket this guy. We're just going to make sure that just Zach Ertz doesn't beat us. You know, they can't do that with Kittle. They can't do that with Kelsey the way that they can with Ertz, especially now that Dallas Goddard's out. Um, so I think that that's probably the biggest thing that's affecting Ertz right now is, I mean, he's not on the, I mean, he thinks he wants to be on the level with Kittle and, uh, and Kelsey. And I'd say he's one of the best tight ends in the league, but he's not better than those two guys. Um, and I think that it is possible to take him away, especially with the way the Eagles offense is right now, where, you know, you have guys who don't need to be game planned against on the outside. You know, he's the only person that's probably circled on a whiteboard in the Steelers defensive room right now. So only, only the receiving target, I should clarify. Yeah. Uh, Well, of course, when you, when you talk about the Steelers, it's pass rush and the offensive line of the Eagles will be important this week. Uh, It's a strange case with how, with how Wentz has been sacked this season. Of course, eight of those 14 sacks came in week one against Washington but the line strangely gave up none against the Rams and three each against Cincinnati and San Francisco. And Cincinnati always has like a reasonably stout defense, but San Francisco didn't have their best pass rusher in Nick Bosa. Offensive lineman, as you said earlier, on the injured reserve. I don't really know how to judge the pass blocking for the Eagles because I want to say it's like it's Aaron Donald. You didn't give up any sacks, but it's just weird i don't understand well i do think that a big part of why the the sack numbers were so high in week one um was definitely attributed to the game plan um i the eagles it was actually like shocking how obsessed they were with taking deep shots against washington i mean last year in the season opener against washington you know deshaun has two touchdowns and carson wentz just throws a bunch of bombs all game it's just you know deep passes deep passes and it seemed like that was they thought they could do it again. I mean, you know, they're excited. They had Jalen Rager out there. They had Deshaun Jackson out there. They have all this speed. And their game plan was, we're going to air it out. We're going to take deep, deep shots. Um, in week one, Carson Wentz led the league in average yards per attempt. Like, every time he threw it, it was 10, 15, 20 yards. Um, and then the next week against the Rams, it, he was the bottom of the league in average yards per attempt. I mean, they completely switched it up. They wanted to short. They wanted to take short passing attempts. Um, so we aren't really sure what to make of the Eagles' offensive line right now. Um, against the 49ers, they were very good, surprisingly good. I mean, Jordan Mailata at left tackle. He's literally never played a football game before last Sunday. I mean, he played in preseason, but he's never started in an actual football game. He was a rugby player from Australia who was a seventh round pick. I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but. Rugby player from Australia, seventh-round pick. He's a great athlete, 6'8", 345 pounds, um, massive human being. Um, and he played pretty well against the 49ers. He did some things that were surprisingly good. I mean, his strength and athleticism lets him get away with some technique issues that he might have. Um, but if he irons that stuff out, I mean, he could be a really good player for the Eagles. Um, but as far as the 49ers game goes – you know, they had Jordan Mailata at left tackle. They have Nate Herbig making his – I mean, he's started every game this year, but it'll be his fifth start against the Steelers. Um, Jason Kelsey's been around a long time. He's a very good player. But then they have Matt Pryor at right guard. It'll be his second start of the season. And then Lane Johnson is dealing with an ankle injury. He'll probably play. But, again, he's been in and out a little bit. When he plays, he's pretty good. 
But I would say that that left side of the Eagles offensive line, I think a lot of people, including myself, are interested to see how they handle playing the Steelers front because the 49ers front was banged up. Um, and I think we're all sort of waiting to see, like, is this is Jordan Mailata actually going to hold his own against real pass rushers like T.J. Watt, you know, Bud Dupree, all these guys, you know, who, is he going to hold up against that the way that he held up against the 49ers? Because if he does, it's really promising. But I, I think this will be the real test for that group. Isn't it kind of ironic that an Australian rugby player plays against the 49ers who famously signed Jared Hain for a season yeah. a few years ago? <laughs> yeah. That's strange. Um, uh, Miles Sanders uh, is coming back to his hometown this week uh, at Heinz Field. He went to Woodland Hills in Pittsburgh. Uh, the Steelers right now, they have the number one rush defense, uh, allowing just 15, 54 yards per game. And uh, they also lead in yards uh, per carry at 2.7 uh, yards per touch. Uh, how, how will the Eagles get him going against a team that has just really dominated against uh, opposing running backs so far this year? Yeah, it'll be interesting, especially I think the one real strength that even if this Eagles offensive front isn't great against the pass, I do think like this is a group that can can move bodies and, you know, have success in the run game. We've seen it. Um, you know, they've just got a bunch of big guys in there. So, I mean, Doug Peterson isn't the type if the run game is not working, he's not the type to just stick with it stubbornly. Um, and they can get Sanders involved in the passing game just as easily as they can the run game. Um, I'd say that actually one of the biggest parts of like one of the biggest um, improvements he made from year one to year two has been his route running. Um, he's run a couple of routes this year that, you know, have left guys on the ground. You know, he has done some really impressive stuff in the passing game. So, I mean, he's got to be a big part of their offense, um, especially the last three weeks he's been dealing with different injuries. He missed all the training camp with a hamstring injury. And then he was dealing with a glute injury during practice last week. And this is, I mean, we think this will be the first week that he'll be completely healthy all week. Um, I'm sure he'll be excited to play in Pittsburgh. You know, he's, he's very, he talks about Pittsburgh all the time. He talks about what it means to him. Um, and I'm sure he'll be really excited about it. Um, and, you know, it's the type of thing where he's going to get touches. So whether or not he'll have success, I think will be interesting. I mean, I still think that this Eagles offense has a lot of things to figure out. And I'm, I think that this week will be a good test to see how far along they are at this point in the season. So I, I don't really have an answer for you as far as like how is Miles Sanders going to get going because I'm not sure he will, but I can tell you how they probably plan on doing it, which is probably getting involved in the passing game and giving him touches early um, and seeing what the Eagles offensive line can do as far as pass or uh, run blocking goes. Well, for running backs against the Steelers, of course, it's been tough sledding rushing wise, the most yards given up rushing wise for the Steelers for a single rusher is 70 with Melvin Gordon, but even Saquon Barkley had a couple and Gordon himself had a couple shining sequences as a pass catcher. So it'll be interesting to see if they can use Sanders that way. But yeah. His route running has been really like, I can't say enough about, I mean, he ran uh, like a post corner against the Bengals and I mean, he was wide open. He could have walked into the end zone, but I mean, Wentz missed him. And then against the 49ers, he ran like a little Texas route, like a little, like yeah. you run seven yards out and then you cut back in. And he, I mean, the linebacker was touching the ground. I mean, he was again, wide open and Wentz missed him again. So the timing hasn't been there, but he has run some really, really clean routes this year. So the Madden textbook special. Yeah. I, that's why I figured you would know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, 
We'll switch to the defense, and I, I want to... This is incredibly intriguing for me. Of course, we've always known about Philadelphia. I felt that the one place that Philly has always been great at is defensive linemen, and they have a ton of them. And uh, we talk about Pittsburgh's pass rush with its lead-leaguing Blitzburg drop-back percentage at 51.2%, and they have 15 sacks, which is second behind only the Philadelphia Eagles with 17. But their blitz per drop-back percentage is 19% towards the bottom half of the league. What's made them so successful in the pass rush with less blitzing? Well, that's Jim Schwartz's defense. I mean, it always has been. He doesn't want to blitz. He wants to get pressure with four. And that is how the Eagles have always built their teams is they want to be able to get pressure with four. And it's, I mean, it's proven, you know? I mean, you look at teams playing the Chiefs right now or teams who play the the Seahawks, you know, against elite quarterbacks, blitzing, I mean, look at Aaron Rodgers. When you blitz an elite quarterback, you are going to have a hard time because they are just going to dissect you. They're going to find the holes. Um, and if you can get pressure with four, it makes it gives you at least a chance. And that's why this team, I think, is handled. You know, they beat Green Bay last year. Um, you know, they went toe-to-toe with the Seahawks in the playoffs until Carson got hurt. I think that that is the Jim Schwartz model. It's the way the Eagles like to build their teams is we're going to put a lot of money in our defensive line. We're going to put no money in linebackers. And we're going to try and get – we're going to try and pressure the quarterback with four people. Um, so they – I mean, I'm surprised you're not bottom of the league in blitzes. I think Jim Schwartz has started blitzing more than he did in years past. But that's that's the way that their scheme is. Is um, It's by design that they don't blitz very much. They want Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Malik Jackson, Derek Barnett, Josh Wett, um, Brandon Graham – Jannard Avery. I mean, that's seven guys right there who can all get to the quarterback. They want those guys to generate the pressure for them. And then you can make up for the fact that you don't have a lot at linebacker. You've got a new, a new player playing safety. You know, they're secondary. I mean, it's Darius Slay, and it's a lot of guys who are a little unproven or, you know, league average. Um, but they're, I mean, their talent's up front. I mean, again, they, I told you earlier how they've paid so much for their defensive tackle rotation. Um, And the thing that's been interesting the last two weeks is those guys have dominated the end of games because I just, like, I I just named seven guys. I could probably name nine who all play. So at the end of games, offensive lines are tired and these guys are fresh because they haven't been playing all game. You know, they rotate and they rotate heavy. They they have a deep rotation at defensive end and defensive tackle. So, so yeah, that's how they do it is rotating these guys in and out and they're adamant, you know, these, you guys got to rush. And you guys have to get to the quarterback. Something that we talked to Javon Hargrave about was, you know, in the Steelers system, he was more of like a one technique, two gap defensive tackle who has to read and react. You know, he's got to be in charge of two gaps. He has to read and figure out which gap to plug based on the play. Here, they the Eagles run a one gap system. They want their defensive linemen, it's the way you would say it is stopping the run on the way to rush the passer. You know, they want those guys getting upfield. They want those guys flying off the ball and figure it out as you're going. But play fast. You know, don't, you know, get into the lockup situation where you're reading and getting and figuring out where you're going. No, just go. Um, And he said it's been hard to, you know, adjust to that because he was coming from Pittsburgh where he wasn't doing that. Um, But, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's how their defensive line works. I mean, that's the best uh, synopsis I can give of it. (laughs) 
Yeah, they have probably the deepest defensive line that I've ever seen. I'm going back to to Tampa Bay Buccaneers in their heyday winning that Super yeah. Bowl against the Raiders. I never seen I was looking at the snap counts and it was just like it was insane how much defensive end and defensive tackle is just like basically the main attraction for that team. Yeah, I mean they pay for it at linebacker. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that. They pay for it at linebacker, but they have invested a lot of money. I'd say it's them and the 49ers as like the two teams that have figured out we got to have a lot of good pass rushers and we got to rotate them in and out so they're all fresh. So. And speaking of that great Eagles defense line, uh, one guy we are uh, are just interested in is uh, former Steeler Javon Hargrave. Uh, you know, when he was with the Steelers, he, he was really well-liked by, uh, you know, coaches, uh, players, and, and fans, too. He seems like a real nice guy. So how how's he been, uh, you know, adapting there in, in Philadelphia, and uh, how's he looked uh, this far this season? Well, he was dealing with two injuries during training camp. Um, it was the second year in a row that the Eagles' big free agent signing was a defensive tackle, and the second year in a row that that guy wasn't available for the start of the season. Um, Malik Jackson – um, well, Malik Jackson got hurt in week one and missed the season. Um, and then Javon was hurt all of training camp, missed week one. Um, I think his first game was week two against the Rams, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he struggled. He didn't look great. Um, you know, he was struggling to run defense. And he talked about, again, like I mentioned earlier, the adjustment to the Eagles scheme. Um, but he's come on the last week, the last two weeks, I'd say. And he's looked a lot better. He's gone to the quarterback, um, and I think he's figuring it out. I mean, if you miss – I mean, missing training camp is tough, you know, especially this offseason where you didn't have OTAs, you didn't have mini camps, you didn't have anything, really. I mean, it, it was hard to work out, I'm sure. Um, and a lot of guys got pec injuries because all they were doing was lifting. You know, they weren't getting out on the field. Um, so he's finally – I think he's finally gotten healthy. Um, he's finally gotten comfortable. And he definitely is playing at a higher level. I would say that right now I'd still, if I was going to put 11 guys on the field, I'd still put Fletcher Cox and Malik Jackson in over him. But it's definitely closer than it was two weeks ago. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if he overtakes Jackson at some point. But those guys are both really good defensive tackles. Um, so, yeah, Hargrave has been good here so far. I would say, you know, week one or week two when he his first game, there was definitely a little bit of a head scratcher. Like, is this guy going to look like this for the next three years? Um, but he's pretty quickly been a lot better. So, and uh, EJ, uh, how, when they rotate and stuff, uh, how do they line up? Is like Fletcher Cox on like the right side of the defense line? They, or? they don't have a, a lot of a tendency. They sort of just rotate those guys all over the place. I mean, Malik Jackson can even line up on the edge if they need him to. Um, he likes playing three tech, but he can play a five technique if he needs to. Um, they have all kinds of weird looks that they can. I think that's part of their scheme is we're going to have weird looks. We're going to match guys up um, where we like them. So, yeah, I would say Fletcher plays just about anywhere that he can. Um, on the inside, at least he doesn't play like five technique or anything. And I think that he – this is the first time in his career that he's had so much talent on the – like across from him at defensive tackle. I mean, when they won the Super Bowl, they had Timmy Jernigan, but it wasn't – I mean, he's not – Javon Hargrave or uh, Malik Jackson level. Um, this is definitely the most talent he's had on the on a, in a defensive line rotation with him. It should be an uh, interesting matchup with uh, David DeCastro, who's at right guard for the Steelers. Because I remember the last time they played, uh, Cox gave him some trouble. So uh, that should be interesting to see on Sunday. Yeah, he gives most people trouble. I wouldn't give yeah. him too too hard of a time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting to see, like, reading up on how Philadelphia takes out takes these three, four guys. Jernigan was one of them in Baltimore and just moved them over into four, three, almost somewhat seamlessly. Yeah. I mean, I think that they look at um, their production in pass rushing situations where they're playing more of that three technique style. Um, and if those guys are doing it well, then, I mean, it works out. I mean, Fletcher Cox, when he was drafted, I don't remember exactly who it was. My, my colleague, Les Bowen would probably laugh at me because I can't remember this guy. But the defensive line coach at the time, they were running like – they run a wide nine kind of right now, but they were running like a real wide nine. Like their defensive ends were way out there. And the guy said Fletcher Cox was like born to be uh, a three technique in his scheme. And it's just funny because, I mean, he still runs like that kind of, that, that kind of position, but it's not the same thing. Um, but, yeah, they do it all the time. And, of course, you mentioned this a little bit with the Eagles roster. They're a young team overall, but especially young defensively. And a lot of their issues last year was through the pass defense. Though Sunday against San Francisco, they stepped up with two picks, one by Rodney McLeod and the second, a 30-yard pick six by Alex Singleton, a linebacker. Both were their first interceptions of the Eagles' defense this season, but they were against Nick Mullins, not Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, yeah, the Eagles struggled to get turnovers the first three weeks. Um, they said it was partly due to the fact that they, they're playing a lot more man coverage this year than they have in years past because they have Darius Slay, who is a, the type of cornerback that you want following the, an opposing receiver all game and matching up a man-to-man. And, you know, they talked about how – well, when you're in man coverage, your back's to the ball. It's harder to locate the ball. So that, I think, maybe is part of it. I mean, I'll take them at their word. But they also say, you know, like you can't force turnovers. You can't or you can't hunt turnovers. You can't try and force it because that's when they won't come. Um, and I would say that both of the interceptions on Sunday night were because Nick Mullins was really struggling. I mean, he got benched for a reason. It was – I mean, Carson Wentz has played bad games – this season. So like, I can't pretend I've never seen quarterback play like that, but I mean, it was awful. Uh, and I, I was honestly, it was not surprising at all that he got benched. CJ better Bethard played pretty well um, coming in for him. Um, uh, so yeah, I would say that Alex Singleton even admitted that his interception wasn't his best play. Like it was good for him. You know, he's a backup. He came in for TJ Edwards uh, who went down with a hamstring injury. But when you ask him about the pick, it's not like he was like, oh, yeah, I read the quarterback's eyes. He literally said, yeah, I mean, he threw it right to me. I was glad I caught it. Um, and the de- Jim Schwartz, the Eagles defensive coordinator, said that wasn't his best play. Like, he made better plays in the run, which were more about him doing something rather than the quarterback just throwing it directly to him. Um, so, yeah, the Eagles defense, I would say that um, their secondary last year struggled, and a lot of those guys are gone. Um, so far this year, the secondary hasn't looked – I mean, the secondaries look good. I mean, it has not been the problem, I'll tell you that. Um, you know, Darius Slay has done a pretty good job shutting down number one receivers. Um, I think this will be another good week for him, but um, so far so good. Uh, the, other, the only thing is on the other side, opposite Slay, um, we have no idea who's going to play corner every week right now because Avante Maddox is out with an injury. And Avante was really a prototypical slot cornerback even before he went down. You know, like, he's 5'9", 181 pounds. He's not a big guy. Um, and we were all kind of scratching our heads looking at the roster because it's like they have nothing but slot corners other than Darius Slay. You know, they've got Nikel Roby Coleman, who is a prototypical slot. 
They have Craven LeBlanc, another prototypical slot. And then they had Trevor Williams on the practice squad who ended up getting called up. He was expected to be the starter last week. He had a rib injury all week and he didn't play. Um, he wasn't on the injury report this week. So it'll either, either be him at outside corner or Jalen Mills will stay at outside corner instead of playing safety, which is the position that he worked on all training camp. Is Avante Maddox looking like he's good to go this week? Um, I wouldn't say that. Um, the Eagles are very cagey about their injury updates. They don't like to tell us any more than they have to. But when he went down two Sundays ago, Doug Peterson said he would be out for some time. And my experience with Doug Peterson, that means more than two weeks. That means three to five. Um, he's not on injured reserve, so he could be back in three weeks, but that would be next Sunday. So I don't think he'll play. Um, I think you're either going to have Jalen Mills at, at outside corner, or you're going to have Trevor Williams, and you're going to see Mills at safety. Oh, well, I was asked that question because the Pittsburgh Tribune reviews put out a piece on it, and it seemed like he felt good to go. That's why – that's why I went we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong, but he's not practicing. And, you know, usually that miss some time designation is not promising. But, hey, I could be wrong. Again, the Eagles are usually very secretive about their injury statuses. But I'd be – honestly, I'd be surprised to see him go this quick. It would definitely – if he plays, it would probably be an indication that he is way ahead of the schedule the Eagles set for him. Last question here. What is the most important thing the Eagles must do to win this game? And who do you think will have a big game for the Eagles? The most important thing, uh, can I give you two? Um, yeah, I'll be quick. So the Eagles are going to have to pressure Ben Roethlisberger. Um, he's been getting the ball out pretty quick this year, but they're going to have to get to him if they're going to win. Um, I don't think that they can win a game where they don't have at least two or three sacks and a lot more quarterback hurries. Um, so defensively, they're going to have to get to the quarterback. And offensively, I've said it almost every week, um, but I think especially this week, Carson Wentz is going to have to become – he's going to have to re restore what he had the last few seasons. He's going to have to be uh, at least a, an above-average quarterback. You know, um, I think that he was still somewhat, you know, middling to below average against the 49ers. He still missed some throws. Um, he's been running the ball effectively, but he still missed some throws that he should be making. I don't think that against the Steelers' defense, like the one that is – Against this Steelers defense, he's going to be able to, you know, get by missing wide open throws and opportunities. So I would say Carson Wentz is going to have to play, you know, back to the standard that he set in his first four seasons. And the, the defensive line is going to have to rush the passer. Um, if I had to pick a guy to have a big game, um, I would go Darius Slay. I mean, I think, you know, if he can handle Juju Smith-Schuster and, you know, at least make him – not a you know a game wrecker then I think that that's something that the Eagles would need to have happen to have a big game um so and coincident and on the other side if any Steelers tight end um will probably have a big game because that has been the one consistent thing uh all season so you have a final score prediction or you don't want to do that uh I will go 31 21 Steelers and you heard it from him. That's EJ Smith from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Eagles beat reporter. EJ, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. It was, it was a pleasure. Before we get into our thoughts and Chris's prediction for Sunday's game, reports are coming out of Nashville that Titans players were working together while under league-mandated shutdown protocols for COVID-19. As of this recording, the Titans registered two more positive tests 
after two days without a COVID positive test. Reports, notably from Pro Football Talk, are swirling on a historic punishment for the Titans organization. Some Steelers and Bills fans are calling for a forfeit by the Titans. Chris, it seems like our worst suspicions on how the Titans handled COVID protocol has sadly come to roost. Yeah, today there's a pretty alarming report about uh, the Titans having like, you know, a practice at a high school facility when they weren't supposed to. Uh, You know, NFL is investigating it right now to see if they uh, broke uh, any protocol. Uh, Nothing really came uh, through yet as far as like a definite, but, you know, there's been some reports about how they they haven't been wearing masks properly or they haven't been reporting, you know, people that had cases, uh, you know, thoroughly. So we'll have to see what happens there. But, you know, yeah, like also this morning, uh, two players uh, for the Titans uh, tested positive, and that, that's over 20 now for the entire Titans organization, which, which is pretty um, alarming uh, dealing with their situation. And, and their game against Buffalo on Sunday is in real jeopardy now. So you have to wonder, uh, is the NFL going to start uh, forcing the Titans to forfeit games? Well, what do you think should happen? Because there's a lot of Steelers fans, even Bills fans, as I mentioned a little earlier, that are coming out for blood on the Titans. They want forfeits, draft picks taken away, money. It's just insane. But I want to get your thoughts. What should the league do to the Titans? Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, know, there hasn't been anything, you know, confirmed as far as them breaking any type of protocol, you know, for the outbreak beginning. I mean, there's been some, like, you know, reports of what possibly happened or what people have been hearing. But that doesn't look good with them breaking that uh, protocol of having a, you know, practice, you know, players having, no, no, co- no coaches were there, but players came together and had a practice at uh, a high school there in Nashville. But I think, you know, obviously I should, they should get a heavy pun- uh, punishment if, if it's deemed that they broke the protocol. And it, it should be uh, an unprecedented type of uh, punishment because this, these are unusual times right now. And, the, the NFL gave out guidelines for all the NFL teams to follow these protocols and the Titans are breaking them. Uh, they should, they should be punished to the high, highest extent. We don't know like what, what could come from this. I mean, if you follow our Twitter account, you can obviously see when Chris isn't tweeting because our fearless leader decided to almost put was calling for a death penalty where the SMU and Eric Dickerson, and I'm just like, I don't know how much you can punish a pro team for something like this that's kind of like, in a way, once in probably a lifetime, two lifetimes maybe, but also a time in which you kind of have to really buy into the situation, especially if you want to potentially be a Super Bowl champion. And that's certainly the road that the Titans can go on. They were in the AFC Championship last year. And who's not to say they can they can go back and maybe advance one step forward if it all comes together for them? I think the Dell's going to come hard down on them if they find anything with them breaking the protocol. I think it would be loss of draft picks, a heavy fine, and we'll have to see with the forfeits. But I'm thinking, though, if they don't play against Buffalo, and what happens if they don't play their next game? Like how many, se- how many weeks after the season are they going to push it back if it's only the Titans to make up those games? Certainly dire straits in the NFL, but let's get back to Steelers versus Eagles. And Chris, we've had our interviews 
with John Marks and EJ Smith. It's certainly enlightening to see a lot of the Philadelphia Eagles organization and just really pick their brain and try to figure out, like, what's going on on the other side of the state. Yeah, yeah both uh, uh, John and EJ both both were excellent uh, in their insight on the Eagles. Uh, really uh, made us more knowledgeable on what's going on in Philadelphia. And uh, I'm really interested to see that, uh, that defensive line this week going up against the Steelers offensive line. It's going to be the biggest test uh, the Steelers have faced this this year so far, and possibly the entire season. I mean, they they are loaded on the defensive line, a ton of depth. One has to wonder if the Steelers are going to go back to their patented no huddle offense. One way to stop a team that relies on defensive substitution and rotation is running that no huddle. You could potentially get in the situations where you have twelve men on the field. Obviously, get guys tired. That would be huge for the Steelers, and maybe mitigate that pass rush because you just get a feeling you have four big guys coming at you and while the Steelers offensive line has certainly held tough so far you just have to go like eventually they're going to get to them especially in the, in the interior there because they you know Fletcher Cox uh, you know Malik Jackson Javon Hargrave now that you know they have, they have great guys on the, the edge too but uh I think it's going to be interesting to see that that, uh, matchup in the interior. So we've gotten our prediction from our two guests this week. Chris, what is your prediction? And you've been almost spot on this season, except, of course, for the Titans game. But we can't really do anything about that. (laughs) Yeah, um, the Steelers are favored by seven going into this game. And uh, I think they're going to handle things pretty much here in this game. Uh, You know, a 10-point win in the NFL, like, being that there's so much parity is, is almost like a blowout in a sense. So I'm going to say 27, uh, 17 Steelers. Who do you think is going to be the big performer offensively and defensively for the Steelers? Uh, for the offense, I'm going to go with uh, the tight ends, Aaron Ebron and Vance McDonald. Uh, you know, yeah, George Kittle is uh, obviously, you know, one of the best tight ends in the league. And he had a great game against the Eagles. But uh, I think Ebron and McDonald could uh, cause some damage there over the middle of the field, and especially in the red zone. On defense, I, I feel like I, I say it every week. Uh, it's kind of boring. Like even Dayan Kovacevic mentioned it in his article this morning about how, you know, the, key, the real key for any time the Steelers play is can you block the Steelers' pass rush? And that's what I'm interested to see on Sunday. And uh, probably have, have to be uh, T.J. Watt versus uh, Lane Johnson. That, that's that's a real big matchup I want to see. You know, Lane Johnson's a great right tackle, but he's dealing with that ankle injury. And T.J. Watt so far this year has, has looked like a defensive player of the year type of candidate. So uh, interesting to see that matchup. And hopefully T.J. Watt could continue to build off his great start this season. AFC Defensive Player of the Month in September, SI Cover as well. We hope the SI curse doesn't affect TJ because we can certainly use them as we go along in this season. And that is all for us. For Chris Ward, I'm Ty Polk. Thank you for tuning in to the Renegade Blitz. Thank you for listening to the Renegade Blitz podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Renegade Blitz. Read articles on renegadeblitz.com and like us on Facebook. Our podcasts are available on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.